we're all targets of opportunity. And in fact, the FBI just uh, last week announced that cybercrime had gone up by 400% during the pandemic. It's just by the very fact that we're all so interconnected, there's just people that can just be on a network, be on any resource that we use, and just look for victims because it's no cost to them. In a world filled with chaos and a myriad of risks, there is opportunity. You're listening to Riding the Wave, project management for emergency managers, where we discuss how we adapt and rise above those rolling waves of hazards and threats we face and rise to the top. And now your host, the president of Pinnacle Performance Management, Andrew Boyarski. Alexander Grialba is the Chief Information Security Officer at Village Care, a nonprofit healthcare provider in New York City. He is also the founder of Security Hourglass, a cyber risk management consulting company and an adjunct professor at New York City College of Technology. Well, Alex, thank you very much for joining the podcast. It's a real pleasure to have you join us. Thank you for having me, Andrew. I really appreciate it. We often read the headlines that big business is the target of hackers. You see that with Equifax, uh, you see that with um, you know, Target that was uh, hit a number of years ago. The target that we go after, not the target, the company target, our, our target market of companies who try to reach matter metrics are small and medium-sized businesses primarily and organizations. Why should they be concerned about cybersecurity? When it comes to cybercrime, it's probably the most equitable environment, meaning that there's no target too small. Um, we're all targets of opportunity. And in fact, the FBI just uh, last week announced that cybercrime had gone up by 400% during the pandemic. Um, everyone, uh, we're all targets of opportunity. It's just by the very fact that we're all so interconnected, there's just people that can just be on a network, be on any resource that we use, and just look for victims because it's no cost to them, right? So yes, to your point, what you hear a lot in the news is the big, the big ticket items, right? The Equifax and stuff. But in fact, the small businesses and medium businesses are a big target because they're easy to get to. The cyber criminals uh, really profit by volume and not so much by big um, by like the big bank heist, right? Um, those make the news, they're more notable and you see them splash, but it, for people like myself that pay attention, that look at the statistics and try to identify weak spots, we see that it's really small businesses or individual sole proprietorships that are targeted because they're easy to get to and either one, you can get something quick for them or they offer you an opportunity to get to bigger fish because we're also interconnected from small suppliers, you know, educators, what have you, where, you know, we don't function in, in a, you know, in a vacuum. We're all in touch with other people and that's what they look for is to kind of get into our relationships and branch out. So if I remember correctly with the uh, target uh, when Target, the retail company, was was hit uh, a number of years ago, it was through an HVAC company that had access to their Wi-Fi network that was able. They were able to hack through and to get into their systems. 
Is, is that correct? Yeah, it's, um, I do know that it was a supplier and the, the details that I have was that it was a, a very small business uh, with a computer that was using free, so free antivirus software, which means that it wasn't actively looking for stuff. It was connected to a server at Target that was supposed to be located just to submit invoices or what have you. But from there, once they went through the supplier to that server, that server tended to actually had access to the rest of the Target network. Um, not uncommon, in fact. Um, back in the day, I actually worked for uh, an electronic data interchange company, and our job was to get small suppliers into the supply chain. So we would work with Walmart and automobile companies and target their small, their small suppliers, you know, the, the mom and pop uh, shop, get them into the logistical network through the Internet. Um, but they were, the, they were small, one computer, you know, they really had nothing in place other than to put in their orders, but they were connected to the broader Walmart network or the broader GM network. Um, so that is just, just reflective of the fact that it's, you know, whether if you see a big company, it's still little small ones. Anthem, uh, the big insurance breach that happened about five years ago, also happened through a small third party of theirs. It wasn't that they themselves were the target. It was a third party, a little small uh, vendor that they did business with, and that's that was a route into into the Anthem um, network that caused the, the the bigger data breach that affected tens of thousands of people. So, what are the primary areas of vulnerability that hackers uh, try to penetrate? Into? First and foremost is email, because uh, despite the the development of chat you know, back from AOL Instant Messenger to Skype or what have you, the primary form of communication remains email. Easiest thing to send emails out, easy enough to identify people's email addresses. You can buy them in bulk from, uh, from marketing resellers. And that's really where, on average, is about 60% of the world's attacks come in through email. Um, for small businesses, the, the rate is slightly higher um, because that's what they're, you know, they're not doing so much conference calls and stuff. Most of their transactions are being done through email. Um, easy enough to do a phishing email. So we think of spam, just, you know, the stuff that comes in your mailbox, right? The physical mailbox is just junk mail. But we also get a lot of phishing emails, which is trying to get you to fall for certain scams. Now, the most famous Back in the day, and you may remember this one, when we had the Nigerian prince scam, right? I'm a Nigerian prince, and uh, and it was simple enough to, you know, and the thing is that even those emails that had poor English were would be so obvious to people to go, wow, this is such a lie. There are people who would lose tens of thousands of dollars falling for those scams. Now, scammers have evolved from that in that now their phishing emails are two sentences, perfect English. They don't put um, any malicious content in the emails in order not to trigger uh, any sort of anti-malware software or to trigger Google or the Yahoo's of the world of filtering it. Straight English saying, hey, I, you know, I have something here for you. Can you just 
please click on this link or provide these details. And often these fishers already collected some information about us through uh, what we call open source intelligence, which is, do you have a LinkedIn profile? They'll collect some information about your LinkedIn profile. Are you on Facebook? They'll collect some information about Facebook and tailor the message enough to make it seem like they know you, to make you feel comfortable, to make you feel more comfortable to reveal information, which is why it's so successful. And despite how sophisticated a lot of our email security technologies are, um, they still uh, they still bypass the fact that it remains still a big issue around the world for the last at least 10, 15 years, despite the evolution of security technologies like artificial intelligence, machine learning, more investments in infrastructure. It's still a very successful means of getting through because people still fall for, for that stuff. So you talked a little bit about the impact that this has to small and medium-sized businesses or what they, um, the hackers are looking to obtain, which uh, at the end of the day, for criminals, they're, looking, they're trying to get the money or trying to find a way to get to the larger company. Um, what, what are the specific impacts? I mean, what are we looking about in terms of the cost around some of these things? What do companies risk losing if they are the victim of a hacking event? For, for small businesses, um, you know, and, and now it's, you know, it, you have cyber criminals who are really looking for, you know, high volume, really quick and dirty type of work that yields even just a few dollars because they make their money off volume. So, and this is where it goes to where people say, well, I really have nothing of value. We all have something of value. Um, we just don't know it uh, at times what, what it is. And these folks are great at identifying that because once they take something away from you is when you go, well, I really want that. That's valuable to me. Um, you know, they, they may come in, especially these days with ransomware being probably the, the most effective means of getting people to cough up money. Mind you, they may ask, um, you know, they, the larger statistic is that small businesses lose billions of dollars a year on cyber attacks but if we were to kind of just peel away you know those numbers and really look at at the the details it can average anywhere from a hundred dollars to ten thousand dollars you know depending upon the who they hit right so for some people it's you know they it may turn out that especially when you're a sole proprietorship and you're using your uh, your office computer is also your home computer and you have pictures of your kids, videos of your life and stuff, and you haven't put them, backed them up. Suddenly when someone says, hey, you don't have access to that anymore, people say, and I have no backup, that's valuable to me. So now I'm coughing up $100, $200. Um, about a month ago, there was an, uh, uh, in the local news about a lady who um, that that happened to her. Her computer was encrypted. Um, she thought to be a little bit snippy with the people who are encrypted her files, um, not realizing that in essence they held all the cards. So the hundred dollar ransom jumped up to about a thousand dollars. And because those pictures and those videos were so precious, she ended up having to, she ended up paying the money um, afterwards because you know, she just had no choice from her perspective. She had no choice. And we're talking about an event that just takes a few days to to complete um that doesn't take much from the cyber criminal to do this kind of work they don't have their everything is prepackaged, easy to set 
they'll send out thousands and thousands of emails and they just have to grab a few people in order to make this profitable to them. Um, and because your people say, well, why don't we catch them and stuff? And most of them are based overseas in countries where we don't have extradition treaties with them. So with, with the government, so which is, you know, they're in safe havens um, and they can do this continuously and continuously and they make money off it. I mean, it's not, you know, for, if we look at it as an individual say, well, a hundred dollars a person, $200 a person, not a big deal, maybe for an individual, but for them, they're easily making twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 a month doing this kind of stuff. Um, and again, it, it, you know, the, what people lose in terms of the, what they have to pay at least to unlock this stuff can range in the tens of thousands of dollars. You know, cyber criminals, some of them, um, they vary. There's so many of them. There are thousands of them. Some of them are very, are working our professional outfits. Some of them are just individuals. Um, you don't know what you're going to get. Um, and also you don't know, even if you, you know, you say, well, I'm willing to cough up the money. You don't know the person you're transacting with is actually going to honor that and say, you gave them the money. They're going to give you the means of unlocking that stuff, right? That has happened before where people get burned in that, in that process. Um, I think it's just, I think it's important for whether it's small businesses or sole proprietors or any business to realize that we're all targets of opportunity and, you know, they, you know, we're so busy trying to do business, live our lives, that sometimes we forget to do certain things that would be kind of common sense maybe. And that's what cyber criminals exploit. They exploit those gaps uh, in our attention. So given those vulnerabilities, potential impacts, and uh, what the hackers are, are, are looking to accomplish, what measures can a small and medium-sized enterprise or organization take to protect themselves? There are a few basic steps um, that are quite standard. Uh, they're not just promoted by industry, not by not just by industry professionals like myself, but including the you know government agencies, the FBI, and the cost is about. If we were to look how much it would cost to safeguard yourself as an individual or as a business, it could very easily be maybe about hundred dollars a year to safeguard yourself. That includes um, buying anti-malware anti software, like a Symantec, a McAfee, really basic stuff, making sure that you're paying for a service and not just looking for a free service. Uh, the differences is are that a free service doesn't do active monitoring, right? They're just there, then try to entice you to pay for something else. Forget about that. Just pay the 30, 40 bucks for an annual subscription with a reputable vendor for, to protect your computers, your mobile devices. Um, the other thing is to stay on top patching. I, you know, um, Windows especially has a lot of vulnerabilities because 80% of the, of the world uses a Windows machine as their home computer, work computer. So it's a big target. It's not that Apple Macs are more secure, it's that they have a smaller market, but actually during the pandemic, um, there was been new studies showing that Macs, because of the larger home remote workforce, um, cyber criminals have been focusing more on identifying issues with Apple Macs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, every software has a vulnerability. So people should stay on top of whenever there's uh, an alert from Microsoft or from Apple saying there's a new software update, install it, patch your system. Um, Microsoft has what we call Patch Tuesdays. So almost every week now they're releasing patches to 
Windows to Internet Explorer or even third-party software like Adobe Acrobat, Java, things like that. So people have to stay on top of those things. Um, the other thing is around passwords because during a phishing email, um, the primary focus aside from, say, ransomware trying to deliver something to lock your machine is also to get access to things like your email account. So if you fall for a phishing email and your email account is compromised, you may have not just communications, but also data stored in it. I once had a, a physician that I knew um, whose Gmail account was compromised, and she had all of her son's medical data in her Gmail account. She used it as a storage mechanism. So she had x-rays, she had all his medical history because he, he had a severe illness. Um, all of that was stolen because her Gmail was compromised. So using um, strong passwords, also using things like multi-factor, which companies like Google and Yahoo and Microsoft offer for free. So it's not even an additional service, it's for free. Protects you in the case that you do fall for a phishing email. In case that you do provide your credentials to, to someone and you go, oh my God, I gave them, you know, this, this was not legitimate. Well, now they still need another way of getting into your account right? It's a layer. Look, I have fallen for phishing emails in, in the past um, because in the middle of working, like I'm sure same thing with you, you're working, your mind is on other stuff, you see an email, it looks somewhat legitimate and you're like, oh, you know, what does this person want now? You're scratching your head because, you know, the day is hectic and suddenly you realize I just fell for something, right? So I've been burned by not taking some of these precautions. So, you know, what I'm sharing is not so much a kind of a textbook, you know, reading through, but also through my own experiences, having fallen from them stuff, even as a security professional. Um, you know, I think that, you know, the other part of, you know, guarding your, um, your business is to really, or in yourself, is to really ensure you do these really basic things, which is using anti-malware, paid services, um, ensure that you don't use the same password across all your accounts. So your email password and, and account ID should not be the same as your bank, as your, maybe the, your health insurance or, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, mortgage account, because people say, well, you know, I, too many accounts. I, I can't remember all these passwords. I'm going to use the same password for all of them. Well, then you only have to be hit once and then everything is open. And you'll prob probably have emails indicating that you're a Chase customer, that you're a MetLife customer. And like, well, let's just try these credentials and they'll get in. Um, I have a, uh, a lady I work with that um, every month her bank account is cleaned out, stolen. Um, we get emails trying to change her direct deposit. You know, we, it, while this, the case is somewhat unique because it seems like she's being targeted personally, that someone is really, really has it in for her and they're stealing her money from her bank. They're constantly getting to her email. So, you know, I've been helping her how to implement some of these controls. So it's an extraordinary case, but it just goes to show how easy it is to make someone's life miserable. Um, and that's the thing is that even if they don't get something of monetary value, there's a lot of time wasted trying to put your life together when something like this happens. Um, it's very, it's very disruptive. So even if you, you're not hit with ransomware, you're not coughing up money, the idea of having to change all your passwords, reviewing, you know, if something has been stolen is very, very time consuming. And as individuals, you're not hiring a forensics uh, team, you know, paying $100,000 to help you put all this stuff together and analyze what's going on. You know, so time is valuable, right? We always say time is money. Well, 
you know, these folks understand that and the cyber criminals understand that and which is why they know to make, you know, to come after the folks who have the, who really don't, can't afford to lose time or lose access to resources because they don't have a buffer to say, well, I can, ex I can absorb these kinds of losses. For medium sized companies, the stakes are higher. And I say medium sized businesses, we're talking about businesses anywhere from 50 to 500 employees, uh, anywhere from, let's say, a million or so up to 50 million, $100 million in revenue, or maybe a little bit above that, but in that range. And I say the stakes are higher because they may serve other companies much larger than them. The level of compliance and requirements that they have when they have uh, vendor audits and things like that and liability issues uh, at play. So what are some of the measures that they need to put in place to ensure that, I mean, you talked about some of the basics in terms of password changing and admin controls uh, and, and, and uh, you know, monitoring email and things of that sort, which I assume most companies are doing. Are there other areas that they need to focus on to ensure that they're taking adequate mitigation measures? One thing that actually surprises me when I work with medium businesses or what I often call mid-tier businesses is that businesses of that size with 50 or 100 folks um, still often operate from an IT side as if they were a very small organization. By that I mean is I've worked with a lot of mid-sized companies that still have their employees use Gmail accounts for business communications. So instead of having a, a business class email platform, and we're talking maybe about $6 a person uh, a month subscription, right? They have their employees each use a personal Gmail account with their name, the name of the company at gmail.com. Um, that puts their business at risk, one, because if that person leaves, they still have access to all those emails. They can still conduct themselves as a representative of the company. Um, I've seen companies that have e-commerce sites, really basic e-commerce sites that may do some sort of order processing or marketing um, that are not, don't use a level of encryption. So when people log in, they can put in the username and password and it's all transmitted in clear text over the network. We're talking about maybe a service that may cost about $15 a year to implement, still not being implemented across the board. Um, I think it, it's important for mid-sized businesses to, especially those who have, that have grown, that have started off with five, 10 employees and now you know, are much more successful and everything to also upgrade the systems that they use to conduct their business. They're no longer small. And some of these things that they can implement um, are relatively cheap when you consider, especially if, if you're an organization that has some sort of regulatory requirements, if you process credit cards, you have to comply with the credit card company's data security standards, BCI, DSS. Um, New Jersey, New York, and Connecticut all have very strong privacy laws as well um, in terms of how to secure credit card numbers, driver's license numbers. numbers. Um, more often than not, most businesses are trafficking confidential information that has some sort of regulatory requirement. And 
what happens is that when there is an issue, often actually what kills them is less the fine that may come from a government agency, is the cost of the lawyers that come into play because you need to hire lawyers to answer either agency requests, uh, potential, there's, a, there's been a lot of um, lawsuits around data privacy and data security breaches. Um, some of them have turned into class action lawsuits. Um, there are companies that have had to shut down because they cannot afford this anymore. They go out of business. Um, does that happen a lot? No. You just, but you can't really say you're immune to this stuff, right? You can't say, well, that'll never happen to me. And you hear that, you know, you hear that too often. The fact of the matter is it happens a, a lot in terms of being targeted, having a compromise. You just don't know what the impact is going to be, right? That's one thing you can't truly measure. And it's really important for businesses to understand that some of the basic stuff is not that expensive. You don't have to do what a uh, a Fortune 500 does spending, you know, half a million or even a hundred thousand dollars a year on security software. Sometimes just doing the really basic stuff helps, because what cyber criminals are looking for is the easiest target. If they see that you have basic layers in place, they'll move on to the next person. They'll go, all right, you know, I've tried, I tried. Eh, you know what? There's someone else out there, a lot easier. I'm not going to spend that money. These people are business people. Cyber criminals are business people. They have rate of returns. They have key performance indicators. They do the math. They know what it, how much time they want to spend on a target. So if they come across you and see, well, you know, uh, sent a phishing email. Uh, turns out they have multi-factor on the email account. Eh, I'm not going to waste any more time on this. I'm going to move on to the next target. That's great. I mean, it's, uh, it's, again, it's just not, don't make it easy for anyone to come and target you, right? It's a small business or medium-sized business, you know, you still lock the doors at night. You don't leave it open, right? It's kind of the basic stuff. If you just put a lock in it and someone tries to open up the door, they're like, ah, the door is locked. You know, I can't just smash the window. Ah, let me keep, let me move on to the next building and stuff. That's really what it boils down to. Uh, you mentioned a lot of different measures that individual companies, organizations can take to protect themselves. If there's a company out there that really wants to take a closer look at their level of vulnerability or exposure, where can they go for some further help? Uh, to, to protect themselves, you know, the information changes so often um, that you need to have a broad range of, of sources to, to stay on top of things. Um, there's uh, the United States does have a central emergency response uh, team, and they have a website, and I can share that with you later. Um, they, there's FBI announcements. Um, the uh, uh, Consumer Protection Agency also, when it comes around credit card protection as well. Um, if you're a senior, Medicare, CMS, the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare also um, offers um, some guidance. So the challenge is that it's fragmented, right? Because each of these agencies tend to cater to what their audience is, right? There's a big scam involving uh, Medicare uh, recipients right now. So CMS has, has made an announcement um, about it's being conducted through the phone um, to be mindful of 
you know, if you receive something saying you owe us money or what have you, uh, not to respond to it, um, to check with with uh, CMS or your Medicare provider. Um, so that's the challenge. And I think that's where people and organization businesses feel overwhelmed is there isn't really one central resource where you go and it's like, ah, this is the latest news. You know, you have dozens of either agencies, um, uh, security magazines, um, you know, email uh, newsletters and stuff. It's a lot to stay on top of, which is why it's, you know, some places need to hire a security person or a team to stay on top of it, um, which is why I, my recommendation is at least do the really basic stuff because that is really where that's the first layer that cyber criminals at least test, you know, but pay attention as well that if there is a big announcement out there about some security vulnerability uh, or some sort of scam is to look at it and say, am I susceptible to this, right? Um, sometimes you will see information being published by the main um, news media that will indicate geography. Is it happening in the East Coast? Is it mostly targeting people in the, in the Midwest? So, you know, pay attention to that. Is, you know, is the scam happening in your backyard? Alex, they could also turn to someone like yourself who has the expertise and has, let's say, experienced a lot of the slings and arrows that have been thrown at them uh, by hackers and, and those uh, who, cyber criminals who are out there. Um, and uh, just for our all listening audience, we will post uh, the links that Alex had referenced so it's easy for you to be able to find them uh, on the podcast uh, episode. So you'll be able to click on them and to, to go to them. So Alex, I just want to finish by thanking you for, for joining the podcast. It was uh, really a truly uh, educational experience and learning about the level of exposure and, and, and vulnerabilities, those impacts, and uh, the measures that uh, individuals and organizations can take. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew. It's a real pleasure, and I certainly enjoy sharing my experience and knowledge with uh, with the public because uh, we're all in this together you know where everyone is in the front line of of this and it's unfortunately it's a big issue um, for everyone uh, we spoke with alexander grialva who is the chief information security officer at village care a nonprofit healthcare provider in new york city he's also the founder of security hourglass a cyber risk management consulting company and an adjunct professor at New York City College of Technology. You may find out more information at www.pinnacleperformancemanagement.com. At Riding the Wave, we like to get your feedback, and you may contact me directly at my email address. Andrew at pinnacleperformancemanagement.com. Com. Thanks for listening and come back soon for our next podcast. You've been listening to Riding the Wave, hosted by Andrew Boyarski, President of Pinnacle Performance Management and Clinical Associate Professor in Emergency and Project Management at NYU and John Jay College. All thoughts are his own.